we have fellowship with God, he expects no less than our entire attention in all things. When we speak to him in prayer, he wants us to be focused upon him, not distracted by anything going on around us. We are told that when we pray that we are to enter into our closet. What that means is we are to literally shadow everything out of our mind and our heart. When you pray, make sure nothing distracts you because God is listening not just to our words, but he's listening to our attitude and our heart. And he wants to know that he has captured our entire heart that we're not easily distracted. Church is very important, but church is really a body. It's not a building. And God has a relationship with the church just like he has a relationship with the individual. And he wants a church to represent what he's doing in the world. Beloved, we cannot love the world, the things of this world, and still love him. It has to be one or the other. We're in the world, but we're not of the world, meaning that we can't be distracted or drawn away from him for, for any little whim that may pass our minds. 2 Corinthians 6 tells us, Therefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. It means don't become obsessed with things in this world. Hold them gently. Hold them softly. Don't allow them to absorb your personality. Don't become that individual that your name becomes your hobby or your career. Make sure that you are always, always in the hands of Christ. Our love of God has to be more important than anything else in the world. Anything. And at any given time, as you're walking through this world, you can get distracted. I used the term the other Sunday, and I meant it. Rubberneckers. I often notice when I'm traveling, especially on an interstate, there will always be a backup, but the backup is not necessarily on the side that there's an accident on. It's usually on the other side, the people slowing down to look. When you're moving through life, don't get distracted by what's going on around you. You're not held accountable for that. You are not to be involved with that. Unfortunately, sometimes in church, people become rubberneckers because it occupies time. As one preacher put it, I don't want people to pick up their spiritual gift and play solitaire with it. I want them to use their spiritual gift to make differences in this world. So be careful what you're obsessed with and you're distracted by. Every Christian in this room has a purpose. You have spiritual gifts and you have a calling. God is using you to fulfill his destiny in this place known as First Baptist Church of Selma. And if you don't fulfill your destiny, someone or something will go lacking. It's important that every part of the body function fully and totally. I want to talk this morning for a little while about 
why we shouldn't love the world and how we distinguish between the love of Christ in this world and the love of the world. The first thing I want to bring out to you, the first reason that we should not love the world is the world forces us out from God's love. It pushes God's love away from us and puts something in the place of it that we do not need. The world system is committed to at least four major objectives. Think about this. Number one, fortune. Number two, fame. Number three, power. And number four, pleasure. Those four things the world is looking for. And none of these in and of themselves are evil. None of them. First and foremost, fortune, money. The world system is driven by that. And we're going to have to be a part of that because we're part of the materialistic world. We have a Savior that says, if you will stay close to me, I will keep you close enough to the spiritual things of this world that the physical or material things of this world will not destroy who you are. And what I mean by that is simply this. Be careful how you hold on to things of this world. Hold them gently and carefully. I've been blessed over the years to know a number of Baptists who have been blessed, and they have been people that I would refer to as benefactors of the faith. They've been able to make a difference in the lives of those round about them in a materialistic way. And usually the reason they can do that is because they know how to handle what God has given them. God did not give what they have as a reward to them for anything. He gave it to them as a trustee or a steward of what God has. And in doing so, we can't handle it as if it, it is ours. It could be here today and gone tomorrow. We've got to handle what God gives to us with a sense of destiny. And I've been blessed by people who are willing to give to missions and ministry in a marvelous way because they understood that what they had was from God. Fame is something that is so frightening in the world that we live in. And fame is something that pulls people away from the reality of life. There's a hollow look in the face of those who have been on that, that, that trip of, of fame. And then suddenly, they're forgotten. And they, lo they lose touch with who they are because in the process of fame, they became someone that they were not. And society is fickle. And the heroes today will not be even known tomorrow. And I've looked into the faces of those people and how lost they really are. One of the blessings I've had over the years here at this church is to get to know a child of this church who grew up in this church, Terry Leach. Terry Leach, who went on to play professional ball. Terry Leach, who honestly looks at his career in a realistic way. And he said, I had my ups and downs, but I was always with God. He wrote a book, which you all should read if you haven't, that's wonderful. It's entitled, Things Happen for a Reason. And the entire book is not about his career in ball. It's about his relationship with God and how God uses things for a purpose and for a reason. Sometimes in life, you're going to be captured by this thing of fame. You'll have your, your 30 seconds of fame. You'll be noticed at that time, but don't let that define who you are. Understand that your purpose is much 
deeper than that. It is the work that you do when no one is around but you and God. And you're on your knees and you're sorting through the sins of your life with Him. And you're seeking out the grace of God to overcome those sins. Those sins that are not public but are private. The sins of attitude. The sins of anger and frustration. The, the, the sins that only God can help you deal with. That is when you do your most important work. It's not when you're on the stage. It's not when you're in front of everybody. It's not when you're hosting the dinner or, or, or leading the discussion. It's not when you're directing the class. It's when you're all alone with him that the mighty work is done. That the changing agent of the Holy Spirit will work in your heart. Thirdly, be careful with power. Influence. Power is given to many people not because they deserve it, or they need it, but to test them to see what they're made of. And God does that. He wants to see how you handle responsibility. Do you wield authority with a sense of destiny for the one guiding you, or do you use it to attack and to abuse? Over the last 18 months, I've been amazed at, as we've gone through this pandemic that some people have used the little bit of authority they're given to abuse people, to restrict people, to make them feel outcast and, and like they don't belong. We can't do that with authority. We've got to love people. We've got to, as a church, we can't be exclusive. We've got to be inclusive. We've got to draw people in. Jesus did that. Now, some people on the inside didn't like the way Jesus reached to the people on the outside. Did you know that? They wanted to say, no, Jesus, leave that group alone over there. They're not like us. And those very people had forgotten that Jesus came to redeem the lost. Not to make the righteous look better, but to redeem the lost and move people toward him. I've said this many times, there is no seniority in the family of God. Remember, it was, it was God's destiny before the foundations of the world that you would be saved. But it's also the destiny of God that everyone that comes to Him would be saved. So that person that enters the kingdom today is as valuable and is as important as you are. And you're to regard them in that way. You're to treat them in that way. You're to use the power that you have and the influence that you wield to bless them and to help them and to cause them to grow. <clears throat> We've got to understand that we are not to manipulate and maneuver others for our own benefit. We're to bless them for the sake of Christ. We're to welcome them into the family of God and we're to surround them with that love and that unconditional commitment that only Christ gives. You know, we're told that, that as we judge others, we'll be judged, and that's true. And by the way, that's a real-time promise. That's not just a promise that in eternity we'll be judged as we judge people here, but as we judge people here, we will be judged. Meaning, if we're not forgiving, we're not going to be forgiven. 
If we tend to believe the worst we hear and never love that person enough to go to them and inquire, then we'll be judged that way. People will believe the worst they hear about us. We will be turned loose to that environment of judgment. You don't want that. Jesus was frustrated that the spiritual leaders of, of Israel were not spiritual leaders. They were self-centered people that looked down their noses at the very people they were to minister to. And that frustrated him. The worst thing Jesus ever said was not about the sinner. He knew the direction of the sinner. He died for the sinner. His frustration was for that person that was self-righteous. That was judgmental and not forgiving. But fourthly, this speaks of pleasure. At its basic level, pleasure has to, to do with fulfilling one's desires. And we can keep that into check because we're not the center of our world. We can't become obsessed with that. In fact, our, our spiritual strength comes not in what we absorb, but in what we deny ourselves of. Prayer and fasting are the only way to see God's work in a mighty way in this world today. If you don't fast, I encourage you to. I fast every week. I found that it draws me closer to God and away from the things of this world. It helps dull my senses about myself and to focus on the sense of the Spirit. It's important for us to do that. Prayer gives us that channel of understanding of God like nothing else. In this passage here, it's important to realize that the main point that John is making is that, that everything in the world system, whether it's money or fame or power or lust, are contrary to the gospel. They're there and we have to deal with them, but we have to deal with them in measured increments. We have to be very careful about how we address these things. We have to understand that Jesus shunned those who absorbed everything for themselves. The beloved apostle begins this text in a very special way. He says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. That's a tough thing to do. When you've got agencies like cable TV and, and, and your own internet system constantly hitting you with a barrage of things you like, you don't believe they keep up with you, just do this. Go on Google and put in, I don't know, something as simple as Boy Scout Canteen from 1950. Put that in there. Boy Scouts Canteen from 1950. Laura, you're looking at me like I've lost my mind here. Put it in there and notice what will start popping up on your Facebook site. Ads for Boy Scout Canteens from the 50s. They're listening to what you are interested in. And they want to sell you that because you know what they're selling? They're selling space to sell you stuff. The world is more focused on you now than ever before with technology. They're, what I'm saying, I guess, is they're making it easier to become obsessed with what you're doing. I had a sweet lady in my church at Jodico Baptist in, in Atlanta that was uh, 
she was a marvelous little lady. She was, she said she was five foot four, but she was actually four foot eleven. She, she had a back problem, and she was bent over so badly. And she lived in a little cottage, and I, it was a cottage. It was a little bitty, beautiful house. And in order to decorate her house over the years, she put shelves in her living room, and there were about two hundred tea sets on those shelves lined up all along there. They were all lighted, illuminated, and they were perfectly pristine. In fact, I asked her one time, I said, how do you keep them so clean? She said, it's simple. I start at six in the morning and I clean till eight at night and I do that seven days a week and they stay clean. I've been doing that for 60 years. And I'd walk in there and it was like a showroom. It was gorgeous. And I'll never forget asking her one time, I said, I know this is a little silly, but I said, what's your obsession? What are you obsessed with in life? And she looked at me and she said, not any of these. She said, I'm obsessed with Jesus. I said, wow. She said, let me show you something. She turned one of the tea sets over and she said, you see that? And she had a name on the bottom of it. Every tea set she had was being given away. To somebody. In fact, by the way, she's still alive, and I know that because I haven't got my tea set yet. I'm a, I, I drink hot tea, and, and I'm a fan of James Sadler pottery, if any of y'all know anything about English pottery. And she had a James Sadler teapot and cups that she bought when I became pastor there because somebody told her what I had in my office that I, I drank my tea with. It's got my name on there. And she told me this, and I thought this was so important. She said, as I go through cleaning them, I'll pick them up, and I'll look at the bottom, and i pray for the person whose name's on there. I said, wow, you've incorporated, you've not only refused to follow after Satan's obsessive way of drawing you away from people, you're using it to do Christ's work. And she turned around and looked at me with a twinkle in her eye, and she said, yeah, it's kind of neat, isn't it? She says, Satan thought he had me, but he doesn't. Let me tell you something, people. God knows we're in this world. He knows what draws us away, and he knows how easily we can get distracted. Don't be naive. Have your eyes wide open. I'm just like you. I, you know, I love things. I, I go to estate sales, and, and, and uh, uh, Jackie Hines almost always beats me there in line, and, and we like the same things. That's good. That's good. But I've noticed as time goes along, those things seem to hold on to me less and less. They really don't matter. I enjoy them for their beauty. You all have your hobbies and, and the things that you like to do, and you may be thinking about that right now, not hearing a word I'm saying it. That's okay. But I'll tell you this. The time will come as you surrender to Christ more and more day by day that you'll find that those things don't have the attachment to you they once had. In this letter, John employs a term here that I want you to understand, a very important term. Because he gives the idea here of, of, of the world and he also uses the idea of love. The, the word for the world is cosmos. And we know that word. We've heard it before. Cosmology. 
And, and that can refer to the world in a very physical way, a very scientific way, but also can refer to the world in some other ways. It, it refers to the created universe, the world of human persons, but it also refers to the evil in the world. How the world has slid away from God since the Garden of Eden. And it seems like it's sliding more quickly these days, doesn't it? But that's what he's referring to, love not the world. And the word love that he used there, uses there is a very special word, agapeo. Because, you know, love is, love is something that's defined so realistically. And he's saying don't have a fascination kind of love with the world that will distract you from an obedient love for Christ. Because you'll find yourself in that place. You'll find yourself in that good intention place of saying, now this week I'm going to begin my, my prayer life the way it used to be. I'm going to get up every morning and I'm going to have my time of devotion and I'm going to pray because I know that my day goes better when I do that. And then that game comes on the night before. And you've got to stay up and watch that game. You know that. And you've got to text your friends back and forth to kind of have that running commentary on the game. And then when the game is over, you've got to wind down. And then you find yourself not having enough sleep. And you don't begin that week that way. Let me, let me explain that because I've done that many times. <clears throat> I naively attributed that to me and it really was Satan. I, didn't, I, I set myself up by putting a challenge before him, and he very easily put a roadblock in front of me. Scripture says, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And one of the ways you can be wise as a serpent is this. When you make a commitment to come closer to Christ, make sure that you clear anything out of the way. Namely, don't ever begin your new prayer walk with the Lord the day after a big game the night before. Just don't do that. A doctor told me years ago, he said, the best diets don't begin on Monday morning because he said nothing good happens on Monday. In fact, I used to have a little plaque in my office that said, Monday is a heck of a way to spend one-seventh of your life. Something's going to go wrong. going to be on Monday. But make sure your commitment to Christ begins in such a way that you say, Lord, I want to be with you. I truly want to love you in a passionate and a, and, and a real way. I want to put a higher value on you than anything I have in this world. I can still have those things. I just don't want to be distracted by those things. I don't allow those things to come after me and ruin what I desire. I don't think anybody, anybody, ever plans on failure as a Christian. I think we all plan to succeed. But sometimes in life we get so busy with what's on our calendar that we forget that the most primary thing in our life must be Christ. Nothing on your calendar really matters. When you get to the end of your little list, and I always keep a three-by-five card on me, and it's my checkoff list of what I know I have to do during the day. But I know everything on that list is meaningless if I don't begin my day with Christ if I don't seek him out during the day, if I don't find his words and his worth penetrating to my heart, then I'm lost and I'm hopeless. 
I don't want to end up like Simon Peter. You remember Simon Peter loved to boast about his faith, how much better his faith was than all the other disciples. And yet Jesus pointed out to him, said, Simon Peter, don't get upset. You're going to deny me three times. I, I, I know when you'll do it. I, you know, and, and what they didn't realize that when Jesus said he was God, he meant I've already been there. I've been in that day. I've seen it happen. I've heard it. I've watched it. I know what will happen. Simon Peter did the same thing many of us do. He argued with God. What a foolish endeavor for any of us to argue with God. When he tells us something, we must listen. Simon Peter walked up there on the beach as Jesus was cooking fish. And I don't mean to distract y'all that are hungry and looking forward to lunch, but he's cooking fish. I doubt it was Alabama catfish, but uh, he was cooking. And Simon Peter walked up. That was the longest walk he had ever taken. Because... His life was full of frustration. He, he wasn't sure who was there or what was going on. But he got there and he was absolutely and totally lost. I don't mean he lost his salvation. But he lost his direction. Now if it had been some of us, we would have chided him and said, See, I told you. Jesus didn't do that. Some of us would have told him to get out of here. You, you don't belong with us. You've already proven what you're worth. Go. No, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus looked at him with those eyes of compassion that we won't understand until we see them face to face. And he says, Simon, son of Jonas, do you love me? That penetrated so deeply into his soul he said, you know I do. He said, feed my sheep. He did it a second time, then a third time. Just a, just a little bit of a change in the wording that he used. Nobody really got it but Simon Peter. But what Jesus was doing was not cooking fish and carrying on a conversation. He was recommissioning an apostle who had fallen down who had gotten obsessed with the wrong things, who started looking at the Roman Empire and looking at the world and not looking at Christ. Just as surely as he looked away from Jesus walking on the water, he looked away from Jesus to the soldiers and all that was going on around him. And he forgot that, that in that body before him that held God within him was all power. And he didn't have to fear. He looked at those Roman soldiers in, in their uniforms and in and, 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 and their coat of mail and their shields and their spears and their helmets. And he saw power. But that power was short-lived. The Roman Empire has been gone a long time. It died not long after that. But Christ still reigns. And he will always reign. The reason the world does this to you is because the world, by its fallen nature, is narcissistic. It can't help it. The world is self-centered. It always has been. It always will be. You know, Narcissus was, in Greek mythology, a, a, a man that walked over to a little pond or body of water. He looked down, saw himself, and he fell in love. 
That happens every day. The only problem is today what people do is they see folks that they admire and they look, look up to and they try to become like them. Do you know one of the biggest careers right now in plastic surgery is for you to go in and say, I want to look like this person, and they'll try to recreate you in the image of that person? Image is meaningless. It's what's in back of that image that really matters. I grew up watching an athlete that was one of my heroes. And I especially liked him when, when a certain car rental company got him to do a commercial where he would run through the airport jumping over all these things in his way. And I looked and I thought, man, way to go, O.J., you're the best. But the name O.J. Simpson has taken another meaning. And he's not the hero that he once was. And that's sad. See, the reality is there's no person in this world that we can follow and point to and say, I want to be like that person. And we can know inconclusively that that person will always have the level of integrity that we will ascribe and desire. We don't know that. Only Jesus is the one we can follow and become like. Some people like to sell themselves and they believe they're it, but none of us are. None of us are. We all fall short. We're all weak. We all make mistakes. The, the world offers some of the most horrible things to us. Remember, the epitome of sin is to be self-centered. That's what Satan did. Satan's original sin was to look at God and not worship Him, but want to be in His place. To want to have His authority and His beauty and, and, and His throne. And narcissistic persons are people that look at themselves and see no flaws. They only see the flaws of others. Be careful about this world. Don't become like this world. Don't, don't have heroes in this world that cannot stand the test of time. It's a dangerous thing to do. But lastly, remember this. The world is dying. It's dying. It's deteriorating. It's delineating to nothing. It will not be here for long. The reality is the person that's a workaholic and puts in 12 and 14 hours a day, seven days a week to make sure that his business does well will one day pass from this world and someone else will take their place. And you will not be remembered for much more than what you do for Christ. A lot of people get absorbed in who and what they are. But the reality is we are created to be a reflection, a reflection of hope. Remember this, all you, can, all you can love in the world will never give you hope. Remember the world says things about you. But Christ says, I love you. When people look to Christ and they said, but they're, but they're a sinner, he can say, I don't remember their sin. They've been forgiven. The world looks at you and says, yes, but you didn't keep that promise. And, and you know what Jesus says? But we have a relationship forever. And I'm the one that keeps the promises. The world tells us that you're living for the moment. No, dear friend, you're living for eternity. Plan for it. Let us pray.
Heavenly Father, I ask that you just would simply speak to us today in a way that only you can. That you would give us the hope that we need. that we would understand that as you guide us, you will never fail us. You'll always lead us in the way which is right. You'll always bless us. Father, speak to someone this morning who's seeking your guidance to fulfill their destiny, to let go of the things of this world and to embrace Christ. And I pray that this would be the day of decision for them. I pray this in your holy name, Lord. Amen.